Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Well, the stove is heated up, the oven's warm, and uh, we're ready to start cooking here at the Catholic Cafe. Welcome. Hi, I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe. And, of course, we have some sad news today. We have uh, Tom Doran is not with us. He has a touch of something. I don't know if it's a swine flu. Maybe it's the, the divine flu. He's such a holy person. But uh, Tom is not with us, and we, uh, we bid him well, and we pray for him, and I uh, hope that he uh, recuperates uh, quickly. But in his stead, we have such a wonderful person. We have Biker Bob. With us again, Biker Bob. Bob Nicholas, how are you doing, Bob? I'm wonderful. How are you, Deacon Jeff? <laughs> I'm doing just great. So uh, you've come to join us and sort of sit in for Tom, but at the same time, you're going to be offering us some of your wonderful wisdom and knowledge. You're going to be uh, sharing that with us today. I'm going to try my best. I'm not sure if it's wisdom, but it's something. Yeah, you've got to be uh, older than you are to have That's wisdom. Right. That's uh, right. Come next year, I think you get wisdom. Never mind. Uh, anyway, <laughs> is there an actual age for wisdom? I know there's an age of wisdom, as it talks about in the sacraments, but I'm not sure I've reached that yet. Well, actually, for you, it would be defined as whatever you are plus one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so here's the deal. We're going to talk about faith in the family. You know, so often there will be people who approach... Uh, me or, or uh, people that I know, and they've asked for help in terms of how to deal with their family. Perhaps they have a uh, spouse that is uh, one foot in, one foot out of the church. Uh, maybe they're one foot in, one foot out of the church, and they're not sure. Uh, and there seems to be sort of a, an unequally yoked kind of a situation, and they want help with that. And so we thought we'd do a little show that focuses on particularly the spousal relationships, Mm -hmm. but any close loved one in your family who might be at a different faith level than you are and how to, how to deal with that. I think it's a problem that we're experiencing at all levels of the church. You'll find it in, in, in every church in America, probably every church in the world, uh, where the, the equally yoked is a great way to put it. You'll have a spouse that's not involved and a spouse that is, uh, or a spouse that is, Doing it because they feel they're supposed to and a spouse that thinks that's crazy. Have you had people come in and, and talk to you a little bit about what to do in their marriage and uh, my wife's not where I am? Yeah, I, actually in the last uh, eight, ten months alone I've been uh, approached by six or seven of my friends. Uh, people that I know uh, in various parts of my life, whether it be work life, um, faith life, family life, you know, some place, some environment, they approach and say, hey, your marriage appears to be intact. What can I do to make mine intact? And, and they're at all levels of marriage. You know, some of them have been married for 25 years, and they've had the similar practice of I go to church every Sunday and my spouse does not. Or they're on the brink and saying, we're meeting with divorce lawyers on uh, uh, tomorrow. What can I do? I'm at my wit's end. I, I'm lost. And, and I think that comes back to what's the design of marriage. You know, uh, have you been living out God's intent for your marriage and living out your vocation. And ultimately, whether we like to admit it or not, most of the marriages that fail, we can answer that question with, an, with a no, a definite no. And, and not that we haven't tried, but definitely that we have fallen short. And how do we make that change? And how do we encourage our spouse to join us in making that change? Well, let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about what God originally intended with marriage. The Catechism has uh, some things to say about that. Uh, let's read from the Catechism. Bob. I happen to have my trusty Catechism. That's with right. Me. Exactly That's right. right. Uh, in paragraph 372, the Catechism states, Man and woman were made for each other, not that God left them half-made and incomplete. 
He created them to be a communion of persons in which each can be helpmate to the other, for they are equal as persons. So we read in the Catechism that man and woman were made for each other. And, and a lot of times I think when, uh, especially in these cases where these men have approached me, my first question to them is, how have you served your spouse? How have you been made for her? That's exactly right. And we read in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 18, that's where God says it's not good that man should be alone. Correct. Right? Yes. We're, we're meant to be a community of persons, and I love that concept. We're so often in our culture right now, we're a community of one. You know, it's all about me. Mm -hmm. It's all about my needs. And a lot of times when you hear people with issues, they're talking about how it's affecting them. Right. Rarely is it talking about, I just don't feel like my wife is getting what she needs out of this relationship. Usually it's, uh, she's not giving me what I need. Exactly. It's a a societal view of marriage, not a Christian or church view of marriage and a God view of marriage. And God wants us to be together. He wants us to be a community of persons. He wants us to share and to be... to love and to live in each other. And let's take that back a little bit, kind of take our plane up to 30,000 feet and look at the situation in the catechism in, in paragraph 383, right after quoting Genesis, which you just uh, stated, whereas God did not uh, create man a solitary being from the beginning, male and female, he created them. The catechism goes on to say, this partnership of man and woman constitutes the first form of communion between persons. So in a sense, we can say that the body of Christ starts with man and woman and extends from there to the full body of Christ, whereas you and I are in communion with each other. But we are called to be in communion with our wives first, you know, after, obviously after our communion with God. And that's an extremely important concept. So often, just to sort of divert for a second, let's go off on a tangent. It's your show. That's right. <laughs> How often do we read in the newspapers or we see on television, you know, a fallen hero, a fallen evangelist, mm-hmm. a fallen somebody who we looked up to who was this right. great Great person. We said that is a person that has it all together. Right. That guy or that girl knows all about what it is to be a good husband or a good wife. And then they fall. They do something and you find out that they've been embezzling or they've, right. they've been adulterous for uh, X number of years. And you think, so they didn't have it all together. And so they put across this image. And, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, scripture is so uh, clear about this. We can see that when uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. In uh, the first letter to Timothy, uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 4 and 5, he's talking about bishops, what it would take to be a good bishop. And he mentions this. He says, he must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? Mm-hmm. Then he also, just a few verses later, uh, verses 12 through 13, he's talking about deacons. He says, let deacons be the husband of one wife and let them manage their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith, which is Christ Jesus. And all this is about is being not a hypocrite. Right. If you're going to say something to somebody and admonish them their sinfulness and you're going to let them know what they're doing wrong. You better be. Yeah. Well, that's the whole back to the Gospels, you know, let he who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. I mean, it comes right back to that to where if if you're explaining to a whole group of people, for example, as a former youth minister, you know, standing up in front of teens and saying, you have to love the Lord your God, you have to seek him, you have to pray every day, you have to attend the sacraments, and you have to to become like Christ to others. If I'm not doing that to my wife, if I'm not becoming like Christ to her, how can I expect my witness of asking them to do the same beat to be effective? Because I'm a fallen person, and I have to try just as hard to do what I'm telling others to do. 
and, and almost sometimes harder because right. you want to be without blame. You want to be that, that, that um, pure white vessel. You know, that, 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 well, but uh, no one says you're not going to sin or you're not going to fall. True. But I guess what you don't want to do is say that you aren't sinning and aren't falling. You don't want to – in other words, you don't want to tell your kids – well, I'm going to read you from the Bible here, kids, and it says right here, thou shalt not steal. Right. And then they sit and watch you do your taxes. Yeah. Right? And you might cut a few corners, and they and they say, well, Dad, this doesn't really add up. Oh, it's all right, son. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, shut up. <laughs> shut up. You'll learn these things when you get older. <laughs> Go clean your room. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And so, and obviously what they see there is they see hypocrisy. True. And what does that tell them? That tells them that everything you say from that point forward mm-hmm. is to be taken with a grain of salt. Right. Or how do you go to church on Sunday with your wife and hold her hands as you walk into the narthex and you walk into the worship space and you kneel before God and you receive communion and then you go home and you berate her uh, for doing something slightly inaccurate or, or the, the, your food is cold when it reaches the dinner table and you call her names and yell at her and make her feel little. How is that? How, how are you receiving communion and then going home and behaving in that manner? Well, receiving communion does, and the word itself says communion. Right. Right. In fact, I think that we, when we read from the catechism, it talks about being a communion of persons that is a husband and wife. You are in communion. True. And so when you receive communion, then again, there's that, that charge of hypocrisy. And we have to avoid that at all costs. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? What are the things that we look? Can we look in Scripture somewhere and find somewhere that gives us an idea of what a husband and wife should, should live like, that, uh, that what love is like? I think that Scripture makes that very apparent in multiple places. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've got a whole list of those. That's exactly right. Let's pick one of them. Let's pick one of them. Why don't we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? I think right. that's a I'm great place to start. opening my book. You can hear the Bible. The, the pages. Bible is moving around. Yeah, that's right. There we go. This, this is like a, an interactive show today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we won't read the whole scripture, but tell us what it says. Well, basically, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. But this is one of the most often requested readings at a, at a, at a marital marriage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you go to mass and you, you're getting married and you hear that. And a lot of people make it like a bumper sticker. True. I one day hope to accomplish this Yeah. when really we should be living it now. That's right. I'll personify that in the future when I become a good husband. Yeah. Well, when is that? Exactly. <laughs> I've tried to lose 40 pounds for six years, and I keep saying, next <laughs> week, I'm going to start losing that weight. So, Well, th- that's exactly right. And that just tells us that... So often we're challenged by ourselves. True. Right? Mm-hmm. We, we stand in the way of our own progress, our own conversion, our own change. We stand in the way of our own marriage. And so often people will come to us with these problems or issues they're having in their relationship. And really we find out that, well, kind of turn the mirror mm-hmm. to yourself and say, well, look in that mirror. Do you see right. maybe there's anything in there that, that might be the cause? Of it? And we're going to get to more of that when we come back after this break. But before we do that, I want to remind everyone that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And also want you to email me at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzemski, and this is another great moment in church history. St. Monica is a North African saint 
who has inspired millions of Catholics to pray and hope for their family members who have fallen away from or who have never even approached the Church of Christ. She was married at an early age to a man of her parents' choosing. Her spouse was a pagan man with a secure income and an exalted position within the community. Unfortunately, he lacked integrity and basic virtue. He was unfaithful to their marital vows and abusive. A biographer of St. Monica's wrote, She knew, she saw, but she kept quiet and suffered in silence. She prayed and probably wept, but realized that the religion of the pagans condoned great moral degradation. Like so many women of her time, she had nowhere in the world to turn. So instead, she turned heavenward to the help of the Almighty. And help he did. St. Monica was so well known for her deep inner peace and holiness that she began to counsel other women who had unfaithful and wayward husbands. Because of her great witness to the love of Christ in her own life, her husband eventually renounced sin and became a Christian. He died soon after his conversion and left St. Monica with her children. One of her children was the famous St. Augustine of Hippo, who had completely renounced the Christian faith of his upbringing and was living a dissolute life. The saintly woman prayed, encouraged, and pleaded with her son, like any good mother is apt to do. She followed him from their home in North Africa to Rome, and finally to Milan. St. Monica prayed to God on her son's behalf for many, many years. She never lost hope, and she never stopped praying. After many turbulent years in the lives of both St. Monica and St. Augustine, her prayers were answered. St. Augustine is now one of the greatest and most revered fathers and doctors of the Church. Many of our stories are not as dramatic as St. Monica's or St. Augustine's, but we can all learn from her persistence and filial love. Family and friends have left or avoided the loving arms of the church for many and various reasons, but they all come back for the same reason, the experience of Christ's powerful love. St. Monica is a great witness to this love of Jesus Christ. Her persistence and gentle patience are a roadmap for our own lives and conversions. St. Monica's feast day is August 27th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this has been another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back at the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and sitting here with Bob Nicholas, Biker Bob. Bob, still you still here. have your bike? I'm still I still have my bike. Thanks for not uh, parking it actually in the studio like you did last time, because well, the know. exhaust was uh, choking. It was time. raining. I had to park it. <laughs> I didn't want to get wet. <laughs> didn't want to get wet. Well, so, uh, Bob, we're talking about turning the mirror now on the people who might be thinking that their spouse has a problem, has an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, so often we hear some of these kind of phrases when people come to us, they say, you know, my husband doesn't go to church with me. He doesn't say, I love you enough. And, or we'll hear, my wife is hard to live with. She doesn't pray. I don't think she wants to be a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And we hear these kinds of things and they tend to think or come at it from the point of view that their spouse is having the problem. Right. That there's an issue on the other side of the table, not on this side of the table. We analyze it as if 
we are doing the right thing and our spouse is the problem. We assign it. You're right. It's, it's over there. It's on the other side of the table is a great way to put it. And I think that as Christians, there's a higher expectation for us. If, if we believe and we're following the Gospels and we are receiving the sacraments and grace and we are uh, converting our lives to that of the Gospel so that what we read earlier in Paul, you know, love is patient, love is kind, all those qualities of love reflect in us, well, then there's a higher expectation. And so if our spouse who doesn't believe those things or doesn't accept those things or isn't practicing the faith is not reflecting those things, well, then the problem is automatically with them. My question is, how do they know those things exist? You know, how are we converted to the gospel? Well, someone helps us to see they exist. Someone helps us to understand what the gospel is. And they can't necessarily tell you. I can't sit here and make you go to heaven by telling you about it. I have to show it to you. Well, you know, it also comes back to this whole idea and understanding that they're all on a different path in terms Mm. of, well, we're all on the same path. We want to go to heaven, right? We're all going that direction, but we're all in different places on that path. Right. And even within a marriage, you'll have some people that are light years ahead of their spouse. You'll have someone who is just, they found Jesus and Jesus is an integral part of their life. They're going to church every day. Right. They're living the gospels. They're doing everything they know how to do, but... The spouse is not there. And how often do you say, you know, hey, man, why don't you come out to this Knights of Columbus or this prayer meeting or this men's group or whatever? And the man says, no, 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 Mom, my wife handles the faith and the spirituality. And, you know, you, you hear that and you're like, what? How does how do, what? <laughs> Where are you coming from? I, and I know the experience has been typically the male. You know, the, the, the wife will get fired up. She's going to church. Mm-hmm. She's got the faith in the family. You know, you see this so often. Mm-hmm. And the guy just kind of is on cruise control. He's married. He's happy. He's fine. He thinks everything's cool. Mm-hmm. He's not expressing Christian love a lot. He's just doing his thing. He's watching football on Sundays. Right. His idea of participating in church is he coaching a little league team or yeah, rec soccer or something along those lines? I, I right. go to church. I hang out up there. I do this. Or or their idea of being involved is, again, like you said, it's superficial. It's action-oriented. And, but also they can do this. The, the sad thing is they can do this for years and years and years. True. And I've experienced personally a couple of people who have been in that church environment for 15 or 20 years mm-hmm. before something happens. To, to bring them into the church or bring them to call them onto something deeper. You've experienced a couple of personal uh, I have. Uh, situations, uh, uh, maybe even with yourself, that underscore this concept of this sort of being in a, in a state of, uh, I don't know, sleep for 15 years. And, and actually, we both know someone very well who's a good friend of ours who attended Mass with his wife for, I think, 13 years. And she had an experience in her life that uh, caused her to go deeper. And uh, she's always been Catholic, I think. And, and, and they attended Mass together at the same church. And they were raising their kids in the faith. But he wasn't active. He wasn't involved. And then all of a sudden she has this change. And while her practice of the faith existed, her experience and in her encounter with Christ was elevated through this. And she sought deeper prayer. She sought regular prayer, perhaps. She sought to be more like Christ. And that caused our friend, our mutual friend, his, her husband, to say, wait a minute. Something's different about my wife. I, I see more love. I see more uh, grace, although I'm not sure he would have described it in that way at the right. time. And then he all of a sudden is drawn deeper. And, and I think in my own marriage, uh, as you said, I have some personal testimony to that, where myself, I l- looked at my wife for the longest time as the spiritual, you know, she's the prayer. <laughs> she's the one right. who's doing the work. You bring I'm, home the bacon. That's right. I'm riding her coattails into heaven. I'll keep us here going on earth. But she's going to pray me into heaven. <laughs> that's right. And, and even with my conversion, 
you know, I converted and, and had a, a very uh, powerful conversion personally and, had, and that sparked a prayer life, but it still wasn't, in my mind, to the degree of my wife. And so my involvement was very superficial. I did things in the church, but I wasn't church. You know, I, I wasn't in complete communion with my wife because I went and I attended and I loved it, but I kind of fell off the boat as far as personal prayer and things of that nature. And it was her faith that called me back in and her faith and, and the change, the continual change in her reflecting these qualities of love that Paul uh, so eloquently describes for us in Corinthians that caused me to say, I want that. So the person that comes to you and says, you know, my husband doesn't go to church with me or my wife doesn't pray with me. Ultimately, what you say to them now is, well, your spouse will come closer to God when you lead them right. closer to God or when they see God in you. True. Not when you tell them. Right. Oh, honey, I wish you would do this. Or I wish you would do that. Or it says in the Bible we need to do this. Or the catechism tells us we have to do this every Sunday. That's not when they're going to get closer to God. True. The biggest question that I ask uh, a lot of my the, the men that I've, I've worked with is, who do you love more, God or your wife? And, and almost without uh, 100% of the time, any statistical survey, my guess would be, well, I love my wife. Okay, good. You're called as a Catholic and as a Christian to love God first and let his love and his life radiate through you. you. Well, that way you know that the love that you have for your wife will be from God. True. If you order your life in that way, mm-hmm. then if you get all of the grace, if you get all the love from God, now it's yours to share with others or you're the conduit of God's love and you basically just radiate or share it. That's excellent. And let me ask you this question. You know, if somebody comes up to you and says, uh, your wife has this problem, you know, my wife doesn't have any problems. Uh, you're right. I'm sorry, Miss Bess. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tell my wife that uh, I'm going to go. I'll go this way. My wife sometimes, <laughs> other people will say, you know, I'm frustrated with your wife. or I'm, and, and some people might say to our wives, I'm frustrated with your husband. And explain something. Well, we see that fault or that sin or that, you know, that problem through a filter. Right. You know, and because and, we are called to see our wives and our husbands um, as Christ does. You know, and and I think that um, while we recognize they may have some shortcomings and failings, and and our wives, I'm sure you will agree, don't we all? Yeah, don't they recognize (laughs) it in us as well? Um, But we're called to see that through a filter of love, so that it's not something that we hate; it's something that we we seek to love them through that. And and a lot of these issues that you mentioned, you know, he doesn't go to church, or he watches football, or doing these other things, or she's doing these other things, and not participating in communion of the faith with me. Well, love covers that up, you know, and, and, and it tells us that uh, we're called to look beyond that because the person isn't those things. The person's deeper inside. Let's go, let's go to First Peter, right, chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, hold unfailing your love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Amen. Love will fix everything. That's right. But really only if it's God's love. Right. And that's, that, that's the, the ordering of your God. life. That's, that's right. the ordering of your life. That's right. And, and allowing the supernatural love of Christ to work through us to love our spouse, that is what's going to get them to make a change. You know, if someone calls you up and says, Deacon Jeff, my spouse won't go to church, will you talk to them? Your answer is going to be sure. But are you going to be able to convince them through your words that going to church is the right thing when they say, well, okay, that's great, but my spouse goes to church 
and comes home and still yells at me and still doesn't do this <laughs> and still doesn't. So why should I believe that going to church makes any difference? Again, go back to our first communion is with our spouse. The church, you know, we read that in the catechism that we are called to be part of the body of Christ. And where does that start? Pope John Paul II said that the future of the church depends on the family. Our families, our little family units, are a reflection of Christ, and that makes up the body of Christ. And it has to start there. And if we've got that love in that in our family, that It'll love radiate. is, is going to radiate. That's, That's exactly right. what other people see. And our kids, we will we will change the cultural problem of uh, such a high percentage of young Christian. It's not a Catholic problem. This is a Christian problem of kids growing up and going off to college and falling away from whatever faith they were raised in because they saw the hypocrisy of that faith lived out in the family. So they're going to live it out as they become members of society. We've got to fix the family and say, and turn the mirror on ourselves. And our family will follow. Right. What can we do to fix our own family? It's not what is somebody else going to do right. uh, or even what is God going to do to fix my husband or fix my wife. Right. It's what can I do to fix myself to make sure that I am the best that I can be and I'm all that God called me to be mm-hmm. because only then will everything good start to happen. I read this personally. I read this in John. John has a beautiful thing that uh, that he writes in chapter 8 that makes that actually was uh, instrumental in making me Christian. It's, and I'll give you the verses and I'll paraphrase it. It's John chapter 8, verse 31 through 36. And in this case, I love it because Jesus says, um, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And the disciples turn the mirror back on Jesus and say, What are you talking about? We have not been enslaved to anyone. How can you say we'll become free? And Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not continue in the house forever. The son continues forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And so the question is, when you turn the mirror on yourself and you're answering these questions, why doesn't so-and-so go to church? And why doesn't my spouse do this? And why don't my children, you know, we can expand it to that desire to be Catholic. You cannot set them free. You cannot give them a love for Christ. You can show them what it looks like, but you can't give it to them. If They have to make it their own. And if we make God's love our love by, by having faith and, and walking in his light and his gospel, our family will follow. Beautifully spoken. Wonderful. And obviously something that we uh, all have to look forward to try and do uh, in our own way because, you know, we have this gift of love from God. But if we don't share it with others, if we don't truly share, as we've demonstrated in several of these scriptures, that love, it just stops there. Right. And it's so much more difficult. And now God can work wonders. God can do anything. On his own, without our help. Mm-hmm. However, he chooses to use us as instruments. He chooses to ask for our help. And that's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we're all parts of one whole, one body. And so we're like cutting off the circulation when we choose not to love. That's right. Bob Nicholas, thank you so much for joining me. Thank and you we're for talking me. about the wonderful topic of faith in the family. And I hope this has been enlightening for our listeners. Thanks for having me. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you call us to share your love with all those we encounter, especially our spouses and family. Help us to live our own lives in such a way that we become a beacon of your truth and love so that they may see you in us. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, Send an email to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association.
and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stein, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. 